and trust me, I'm including myself. I see how a people has been called to forsake everything for the kingdom of God can complain and carry on because of some minor inconveniences. I have heard the rebellion in people's voices. I have heard the anger, the discontentment. They can't make us do this. They can't make us do that. We can do what we want. We can go where we want. We can drive what we want. We can travel where we want. We can... We have First Amendment rights. We don't even have a First Amendment. <laughs> we have rights. But we've heard a little bit of this and we've heard a little bit of that. And instead of saying, you know, let's work and get through this together, we have people that are complaining about these minor inconveniences. And you would think that our whole life was either good or bad over a simple little thing like having to wear a mask or not being able to go everywhere that we wanted to go. And it makes me wonder whether we as Christians have become a people that can only be happy and content when everything is going exactly like the way we want it to go. See, contentment isn't seen in a lot of places anymore. It seems that no matter what those in authority are trying to do, there are people that are battling it and fighting it. No matter what people in authority are trying to do, we have people that are arguing and complaining and crying Everybody feels that their rights are being trampled on. Everybody feels that they have been pushed aside. We see marches. We see the destruction of property. We see killing taking place by people who are no longer content with their lives. People gripe and rebel against something as simple as wearing a mask in a store. You know, I was walking through the store the other day and I sat there and I said, you know, really they need to take the signs down unless they're going to enforce them. But says masks are mandatory, I would say either enforce it by turning the people that don't want to wear them away or won't wear them away or take the sign down. The problem for me is when people in Christian circles are just as discontented as those that are in the world. See, non-Christians can never experience the true joy, peace, and contentment which can only be found in Christ. But why are more and more Christians living discontented lives? See, when we read our Bibles, we know that we're going to be facing different trials. We know that we're going to be facing unpleasant people. We will be facing different situations in our lives. And yet it seems like we almost instantly want to lose our joy when a situation arises. Something comes along and instead of saying, Father, we thank you that you're in charge of my life, we start complaining and griping and grumbling and sounding absolutely no different than those that have no hope. We let the circumstances steal our contentment. So is it possible to be content no matter what is going on around us or where we are on God's path for our life? And I believe one thing that would help is if we would quit worrying about how much we are being inconvenienced and would start looking for what God has for me in this place. Now myself, I find the masks inconvenient. I will tell you that right now. I don't like them. But at the same time, when I looked around the grocery store the other day, and I said, okay, look at the food that is available. Sure, some of the shelves aren't quite as stocked as they used to be, and some things may be missing. Then I looked in our fridge, and I thought, you know, we really have not been set back too much yet by COVID-19. We have enough food that we are looking quite healthy still. And I started looking at different things like that, and I have never yet pulled up at the gas station, and they've said, you know, there is none. 
You'll have to come back tomorrow, be one of the first 100 people here tomorrow, and you'll get to fill your tank. We haven't faced that. And yet in many countries, that's what they face. They want to go fuel up, and there is no fuel. They want to go get groceries. There is no groceries. And, you know, I have talked to some of the people that have immigrated to Canada over the years, and they have mentioned when they would go to the stores, if they were not there, like within the first two hours, the shelves were empty. That meant you had to wait till the next day. We haven't faced those days. But, you know, I've talked to some of those people that were talking about the things that were missing in their lives while they were living in their home countries, and there was a joy about them, even about knowing that there was the opportunity to go ahead and worship God regardless of what was going on all around them. See, the Apostle Paul knew the secret of contentment. When writing to the Philippines, he shared this secret even though he was in prison, fastened down in chains. Unmoved by his troubles, he wrote Philippians 4.11, I have learnt to be content in whatever state I am in. Now, he didn't say it came easy. He didn't say it came natural. He says, I have learnt to be content. See, he had learnt the secret of living a satisfied life. He was contented because he was committed to the call of Christ. One of the things about contentment is commitment. What mattered was knowing that Jesus was leading him. Now, I have read somewhere that commitment plus contentment equals joy. When we get contented or committed to something, all of a sudden the different things in the way don't matter. You know, when people set goals for themselves, maybe it's a financial goal, and they say by the end of this year we want to be out of debt. That year they're committed to that goal, so that year they're not spending money on different things. Now, the stuff that they were spending their money on doesn't have to be bad stuff. It could be something, you know, just they're not going out for dinner every night, or they're not going out for this, or they're not buying that new car, or whatever. And they have made a commitment. They said, we want to get to a place where we are free from this stuff, and they're willing to make the commitment, and yet that commitment then causes them even to be happy when they're denying themselves. See, when we have accepted Christ, he tells us to take up our cro- to deny ourselves and take up our cross daily. And that doesn't just mean for all of the stuff that we don't like anyway. When we deny ourselves, that means the stuff that we like, that we're told, leave it. Take up your cross. Say no to yourself sometimes. And I don't know, but I'm wondering sometimes if God allows us to get into situations where others will say no to us if we don't learn to say no to ourselves. When we let discontentment take root, we will end up losing the evidence that we are Christians. See, many Christians come across as whiners and they lose their testimony to the world because they have lost their contentment and their joy. What do I mean by whiners? Who do you hear whine? If non-Christians are already discontent, why would they want to become a Christian if all, of these, if all they're seeing is angry, whiny, discontented people? Listening to some people, you would get the impression that everything is a personal affront. How can we expect other, to win others to Christ? How can we teach them to respect authority and then whine about having to follow authority? See, the Bible gives us clear scriptural uh, um, guidelines. If we're not happy with the authorities that we have, God says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, repent from their ways, turn from their wicked ways, 
Seek after him. He says, I will hear from heaven, and I will heal their land. And yet, instead of sit, turning from their ways, instead of turning away, we want to whine and complain because we can't have what we want, when we want it, how we want it. I believe it grieves God to see his people so discontented in life, especially when he sent Jesus to give us abundant life, especially when he says he has already provided everything we will need for, for life and godliness. See, discontentment is like a weed. You don't have to do anything for it to grow. If you allow it to take root in your heart, it's going to grow all by itself until you come to the point where you find fault with anything and everything that happens. Now, it takes practice. It takes effort to be content. The old saying says, if it was easy, then everybody would be doing it, and I believe that applies here. Contentment is only achieved and maintained through continual application and sustained effort. You tell yourself daily that we will be content, and we work for that. The truth is, everyone has something going on in their life that would give them a reason to be discontented. Everyone. Not one of us has a life that is free of problems. Not everyone, have, not everyone of us has a life with everything we could ever want. But the difference is determined by how we approach the problems. We can either keep a negative attitude or we can keep a positive frame of mind. And what we do will determine whether we are content or whether we are discontented. Now first and foremost, we're going to need to be committed to Jesus if we want to be content. The Bible teaches that our devotion to God needs to be our number one priority. Matthew 6.33 says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Psalm 37, 4 and 5 says, Delight thyself in the Lord, and he will give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy ways to the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Now I believe it is, it's impossible to be completely happy or to know true contentment until we have committed ourselves to God completely. Now commitment is not easy, but it has its rewards. And it's also something you may do regularly because you find that you have left your first commitment. Once the commitment is made, contentment follows. Making the commitment means regardless of the circumstances, you're going to still serve God. The attitude that says, well, God, if you do this, then I will do that. Or if you will bless me, then I will serve you. Or God, prosper me, and then I'll witness for you, is not commitment. That's trying to make deals. Commitment's... God, I am yours because you are worthy. I am yours because you bought me with a price that I cannot even imagine. Commitment says, God, because I am yours, you can do whatever you choose with me. And if you choose to bring me through the deep waters, then bring me through the deep waters. But I know I will not drown because you are upholding me in those places. Commitment says, Father, whatever you have chosen for me, I'm willing to submit to. Because I know that the end result is you are going to cause me to rise above these things. When the Apostle Paul in prison with Silas begins to sing praises unto God, they had nothing to praise about. Those prisons were not like the prisons we have today. They weren't getting three square meals a day. There was no TV to watch. They were chained in the dungeons. They were chained in the basement, if you would. Locked up in cold metal. 
And it says at midnight, the other prisoners heard them singing praises unto God. What do these fools have to praise God for here? Because they knew their God. They knew who their God was. Now, I've said this before, too. I said, you know, how easy would it have been to have a little, you know, Paul and Silas having their little tiff? You know, Paul, if you had just been quiet, if you just would have kept your mouth shut, Paul, we would have made it. Oh, Silas, if you weren't such a wuss. (laughs) How easy it would have been to start a fight there in the middle of prison. It's your fault. No, Silas, it's yours. You didn't have the itinerary plan properly. You didn't have the escape route set up. You didn't have... But they didn't. They were brothers. They were committed to the Lord. Brothers in the Lord. They were committed to the Lord. And they began to sing and praise God because he had seen fit to put them in prison. And as they were singing, we know the rest of the story. All of a sudden, the prison began to shake. The doors flew open. The shackles fell off. Why? Because we're committed to a greater cause. We are committed to bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look at Silas. We're going to get another opportunity here. Look at all these people that we couldn't have met out in the street because they're locked up. And so they began to sing and they began to praise God and the prison shook and the doors flew open. The chains dropped off and they go walking out and there's the keeper of the prison getting ready to kill himself because he's convinced that all the prisoners must be gone. Don't hurt yourself. We're all here. And he took them in, bathed them, put oil on their wounds, fed them, and accepted the Lord and him and his whole family became Christians that night. I can guarantee you that would not have happened if Paul and Silas had been in there complaining. See, Paul could have pulled his trump card. He did it another time. I'm a Roman citizen. How dare you lock me up in here? I have rights. But they didn't. God has brought us here. Let's worship God and see what he wants us to do. Now, while it's not wrong to ask God for things, too often we are so intent on what the Lord can do for us that we forget about what we can do for him. So remember to ask God, what can I do for you? When you're in a situation that you don't like to be in. And I started doing this at lineups at the grocery stores because I am not a patient person. I do not like lineups. And I have started in the grocery stores wherever saying, okay, God, who am I supposed to talk to here? You know what will make that line move up fast? When you start ministering to someone. All of a sudden, it's like bliggity split and you're out of there. Now, I don't know if it actually goes faster or if it just feels like it goes faster because you're not sitting there thinking about how you've been done on. But it happens. So what can I do for you? See, anyone that only thinks of themselves or always thinks of themselves and what he can get will never be content. We need to give of ourselves to be contented. Acts 20, verse 35 says, It is more blessed to give than to receive, and yet listening to most Christians, they're saying, Oh, I'm so blessed, I received. Come on. 
Rarely do I hear testimony. People say, I am so blessed I was able to sow $100 to somebody that didn't even know me. <laughs> I am so blessed we were able to, you know, put some money wherever and it went to somebody that we have never met and they were able to, you know, it's such a, I can just imagine when they're opening it, what the joy is going to be on their hearts or in their lives. We're blessed when somebody gives us. We were blessed they bought lunch for us. We were blessed we got to buy them lunch. <laughs> we were blessed because we were able to... It is more blessed to give than to receive, and yet somehow we keep getting that backwards, then all of a sudden our contentment leaves because we're not getting what we want. So to be content, we must also learn to enjoy today. Now, I'm sure we have all heard the phrase that tomorrow never comes. It means that every day we live is always today. It is a reminder to not get so wrapped up in the past that it destroys our today. See, some people are so bound in the past, they cannot let go of what happened yesterday that their whole today is ruined. Or to be so focused on the future goals that we overlook our blessings today. There's some people that are so looking forward to when we get that new car, when we get that big house, when we get this, when we get that, when that, then I will be. No, you won't. Because the minute you get that bigger house, you're going to find out your neighbor has an even bigger house. <laughs> or an even bigger car. Or an even bigger pool. Or another week of holidays than you do. And if that's what's supposed to be making you happy, you find out it doesn't, and all of a sudden your contentment is gone, and you're happy for a little while, you're content for a little bit, because now we've arrived, and you find out it's not. See, it's great to have dreams, it's great to have goals and ambitions, but learn to be content with what you have right now. And you can be content where you are right now and yet still want God to continue to move you forward. Give today your best and then give God the rest. I read a Snoopy cartoon a while ago and it said, one guy was talking down and he says, one day we will all die. And the answer was yes, but every other day we live. Let's not get so worried about what's happening tomorrow. Let's enjoy today. Today we live. See, work can cause great contentment for some people. People don't enjoy the job they have right now because they're thinking about the promotion that they might get in the future. Well, once I get to be lead hand, once I get to be the foreman, once I... Or the fantastic job that they think they should have right now. My boss doesn't recognize how much I'm worth. I'm so much better than what they think I am. Then prove it to them. If you have the gifts, then use the gifts. Don't worry about who gets the credit for it. You start showing if, you're, if there's more in you, you use what you have, and you're going to be surprised at how quickly the boss sees what you can do. Most bosses do not have x-ray vision where they can look into your personality and say, oh, this person would be even that much better at this and this and this. Some do. I was talking to a businessman the other day, and we were talking about one of his, and he says, well, she's one of my best staff members. And he says, when we hired her, he says, the first six months, I thought I was going to have to fire her. But he says, I started examining what she was doing, and I recognized that the giftings that she had were not in the job that she was. So he says, I changed her to a different position in the company, and she hated it. 
She was not comfortable in that place. She didn't like that place. He says, at least in the first three months, I said, I don't know how often she told me that if this didn't change, she was leaving. He said, okay, well, just give it a little bit longer. We're going we're gonna to try and get somebody. He says, all of a sudden, she took to it like a duck to water. She's one of the best people we have on that position right now, and she loves it. She came into her own. She started recognizing what was in her. Sometimes what we need is, we, so, you know, sometimes we can see it when we start examining them, but not every boss has the opportunity to look at every employee and say, where would this employee fit best? So you get working on your strengths, you get working in your goals, whether you get the credit for it or not, and you'll be surprised at how often that promotion can come. See, some people can't enjoy the house they have right now because they're dreaming of that bigger, better home that they want in the future. I will never forget the first house that my wife and myself had. It was not a big house. It was an old house. Windows were rotting out. Some of the windows I could put my hand outside beside the window panes. When the wind blew, the drapes moved. Cupboards had been painted, thrills chiclet purple. The walls were lime green, and there was paneling on the ceiling when we moved in. It would have been easy to be very discontented. It would have been easy to think that as a child of the king, we deserved better. Some months, our heating bill was pretty well exactly the same amount as our rent payments were. <laughs> Thankfully, we had a good furnace that was able to keep up. But we renovated the whole house, and we worked at being content. Most of our friends ended up moving into better homes before we did. And we tried to watch her attitude so as not to be jealous, knowing that ours was coming. See, you can miss what God has in store for you by becoming jealous of somebody else's success. I believe that's one of the tricks Satan uses to stop people from moving out of their positions. Well, I don't know why they're going ahead. I don't know why they're getting it all. I don't know why this. I don't know why that. Because God loves them more. Come on. (laughs) And that's the attitude people have. Well, God must love them more because I've been so much better and I've been so much stronger and I've been so much nicer and I've been... That doesn't do it. Rejoice with them. The Bible says we should rejoice with those that are rejoicing and weep with those that are weeping. So if somebody's getting promoted and somebody's getting blessed, then say, hallelujah. Say, you know, we are so happy for you. We're so excited for you. And bless them in it. See, once you are content with your present state, determined to stay committed to what you're supposed to be doing right now, then God can reward you. But it's all about the heart attitude. We can be content content in any situation when we know that God will take care of us. Discontentment can come when what we do on a daily basis just becomes mundane and unimportant. I've done this for a hundred years. Why is nothing changing? Why is this? Why is that? And it all becomes mundane because you've lost your heart for it. Use your faith to remember that God has not forgotten you. Now, when you stay faithful to follow God's leading in the here and now, he will see to it that your future needs are met and your dreams are fulfilled, even if he has to change either us or the circumstances. And I think that might be another reason why a lot of people never do get their things because they don't want to be changed. You're not going to spend wildly and ever get out of debt. You will never live at the exact end of where your credit card can take you and be out of debt. If you don't maintain things, they will deteriorate. You will have to replace them much faster. 
we had the fellow from the gas company come over the other day and check our furnace. He goes, man, he says, this is unusual to see this furnace working. And I says, why? <laughs> he says, it's got to be like 40 years old. I don't know. I was here when I got here. He says, when was the house built? It's probably about 40 years ago. He says, this is the original furnace. He says, these, this wasn't even a good furnace when they built them. <laughs> he says, we replaced them within five years normally. And I go, oh, okay. But I'm not normal. <laughs> we maintain our furnace. The guy comes in and cleans it up, sweeps out the ductwork. Why? Why not? If I have to buy one furnace in 40 years instead of 30, I'm ahead. <laughs> but see, discontentment sets in, and if God wants to do a change in our heart, causes us to start thinking differently, and we refuse to think differently, we don't ever get to the point we want to be. I've said this before also many times. I says, what you attain, you have to maintain. Because if you cannot maintain it, it'll be gone shortly. Are you contented this today, discontented today because you don't want to do what God has called you to do now? <laughs> do the dreams of your heart pull into your mind and cause you to become discontented in your present situation? See, it's only when you become content with what God has planned for us at this time that the promotion can come. When you're content now, God is the one who is more than enough. He is the all-sufficient God, and he will do all that he has promised to do. But we need to learn to commit to him, learn to be content in him. And then that joy unspeakable will be yours every day of your life. Because you know who's holding your future. So Father, I just want to thank you this morning for the opportunity to bring this word. I want to thank you, Father, that as Christians, we can rise up and choose to become content with where we are at. That we would be the examples that you have called us to be. That we would be a shining light, Father, to those people that we come into contact with. We ask, Father, that we would be known for the joy that we have. I ask that the Church of Jesus Christ would be recognized because of the great joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So now we want to carry on. <laughs>